So for the last number of weeks, we've been working through Fred's materials on what kind of follower. And Fred set the scene for us in week one, and that as God's people, we are always called to minister into a particular time and a particular context. Now, you don't have to look very far to realize that the context that we are in is quite different from one we've ever been in before. It almost seems like all the odds are stacked against us as a church. We're on the margins of society, and we're living in a culture that's more and more individualistic. People are not just walking through the doors of the church anymore. It seems that given this plethora of different, different views and places to find hope, that people are less likely to come looking for it in the doors of the church. And perhaps maybe even we're scared to offer it as, as an option and amongst once of the many. Whole generations of people have no background in the Christian faith at all. And in week two, we spoke about the invitation that God gives us. And maybe like the disciple, uh, like Jesus gave to his disciples, he gives to us now as his followers a new invitation, an invitation to again, to leave everything behind about what we thought we knew about church and to explore a new call as fishers of men. Last week, Ian led us in the Um, In thinking about Jesus and community, that we're called to follow him in community, that God in his very nature exists in community, and that Jesus was continually building communities around him, and that we are invited to participate in this dance of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We thought about the fact that Jesus was continually forming these communities that were in all shapes and sizes, people from such different backgrounds all together, a broken community being healed. In Matthew 28, Jesus gives the disciples what we call the Great Commission. He says, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. And the sending of the 72 in Luke 10 seems to signify this spread to all the nations. They were no longer just sent to the Jews or to the people of Israel. But with the destruction of the temple, there was no longer going to be a coming to the church, but a sending out of God's people. They were going to a people group that were not like them. I don't know if you've ever found yourself in a community where you feel like you don't belong but it feels like there's all a number of unsaid rules and expectations. You're not quite sure how things work, almost as if people are speaking a different language. That may be your experience in the church today. And in the previous chapter, in, in Luke 9, Jesus commissions his 12 disciples, and he sends them out, and he says he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases, to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick, The 72 are appointed with a similar charge to go two by two ahead of him to every place where Jesus would go. Now, this was a much larger group. I'm not sure if they would have spent as much time alongside Jesus. They would have heard him preaching. They would have been alongside the hustle and bustle of all that's going on. But they weren't alongside him the same way as the 12 were. And yet they were called and they were sent. These weren't just a chosen few people. In the introduction to the What Kind of Follower materials, Fred talks about the fact, the temptation he had to use the word disciple, which means learner or student. 
But the danger is when we use that word learner or student, we think of ourselves in that, that place of receiving, as if the 12 would, would sit over those people and that there would be this continual learning, like as if we're, we might come to the end of some sort of program or qualification and then we would be finished. Now, some of, our, some of us know our calling to make disciples, but I wonder if we forget that our calling is to make disciples who make disciples. It's not that the 12 would continue to sit over and teach these people, but rather that each of us are on a journey of discipleship, a journey following Jesus, and our, much of our learning is in the being sent. Some of us are at different points in the journey, but yet we're all in the journey together. Fred says in his materials, the mission of transformation involves every follower because every member of the community has a vital role to play. Mission starts where we are, in our families, streets, workplaces, and right out to the ends of the earth. The church is a sent and ascending body. Now, I'm not sure I think Jesus sells this role very well. I think if we'd had the same advertising, we might not have done as well as we did at getting people to fill these posts that we have at Trinity. But he says, there's not many people, there's not many workers. I'm sending you out like lambs amongst wolves. You're going to be rejected. Oh, and don't even think about taking anything with you. I'll be honest, if I was in charge of such an important role, then I think I might be a little bit more choosy about how, who I'd send. Jesus doesn't even say that these 72 would have less power than the 12 because we are called to make disciples who make disciples. We have both a call and a commission. Sometimes we forget that people are not just healed so that they can be a trophy in our cabinet or a success story on our CV, but they're healed for the same reason that we are, to be sent And if you're here today and you're called, then you're also sent. We just elected 12 board members at our AGM last Wednesday night. And it's not that these 12 people are are the only ones that are going to have the responsibility for organizing the church as an organization. But it's for everybody to be part of and not just serving on the tea and coffee rota and all these things in church. um, But in our families and the communities that we're each from. We know that it was never about having more bums and seats in church. A lady whose podcast I listened to called the Art of Holiness podcast, but this woman, Carolyn Moore, says in her book, we've forgotten too many of us that this good news is not ours. This good news is ours to share. If you have received that glorious release from shame and guilt, then it becomes yours to give to the next person. If you've been healed, then you're healed to become a healer. If you've been set free by knowing the truth, then that becomes your story to share. Now, if we really believe that we are all sent, then it should affect how we see this ever-evolving community that we're part of. If we really believe that Jesus is the answer, then we're not waiting for people to have it all together. Maybe that gives you a sigh of relief. We're not waiting for people to have a theology degree. It gives me a sigh of relief. We're not waiting till this happens or that happens or this thing's finished. And it should change how we see people. If we take this time to slow down, then we will see the image of God in every person. 
Now, maybe we're past the idea that mission is only a job for the clergy or those who are sent overseas, but I'm not sure how much we believe that we all have a part to play in this mission. And maybe sometimes it feels like speaking to two groups of people in the church, self-categorized groups, that maybe those who feel like they're called and they are in the 12th, they're in the in crew, and those who feel like they're not quite ready to join the army, that they're not smart enough, they're not being a Christian for long enough, not enough. It's like we've created divisions in our mind and maybe sometimes we put on this, this minimum qualification for being sent on each other. But if it's not about us and what we bring, what is it that we're waiting for people to have? This is honestly a challenge for me. There's sometimes that I can't imagine that God would work through certain people for various reasons, and I'm sure you're the same. Yet each of us, and my own self included in that a lot of times, but for each of us here, we have a, a set of instructions for mission. So I want to think about some of the things that we have to, maybe we have to leave behind to throw out of our backpack that we take on mission. I remember when Callum, my husband, did his um, gold Duke of Edinburgh hike. We were still at school at the time. And he, he was away for five or six days. And he packed for every eventuality for the Scottish weather. His bag was full, mainly waterproof clothes, several changes of them. Now, as it happened, the week that he went, it was sunny. And he wore the same pair of shorts for five days. And he ran out of sun cream. All of this extra stuff that he thought that he would have needed was weighing him down. Now, the first thing that I think that we need to let go of is self-sufficiency. The disciples were to take no money, no, no purse, no bag, no spare changes of clothes, no spare sandals, but trust that God would provide for all of their needs. They weren't to expect a certain level of comfort in life. I don't know what you're like when you go on holiday, but I want to pack for every single eventuality so that I can do what I want to do if the opportunity arises. But to pack and prepare is to suppose that we think we know what God's going to do in a situation. We think we know what clothes we need. We think we know what the weather's going to be like. And it's often based on our previous experience, much like the Scottish weather. But God will give us all the resources that he needs for what he is planning, not for what we want and what we are planning to do. God in his grace is already working in the lives of people. He already knows what they need. How often do we go in thinking that we know what people need without really taking the time to listen to their stories? So we go empty-handed, looking for signs of what God is doing in people's lives. There's no longer time to rely on our own resources because we'll always be caught up in believing that we just need a little bit more than we already have. That if we have this new program or this new thing, then we'll be okay. But the disciples were to go needing to receive hospitality, to be cared for in the community. Like Jesus, the one who had all authority and power, came to this world needy, needing to be looked after, needing to be cared for, needing to be provided for. 
If you think of the story of David in the Old Testament, David didn't need the armor. He didn't need a bow and arrow. He didn't need a spear. All he needed was what God had gifted him to get the job done that God had called him to do. God will give us what we need when we need it. And the second thing is a sense of self-satisfaction or pride. I'm doing a kind of roundabout way of studying and ministering at the same time, but only in the last few years have I had a breakthrough and really been able to enjoy reading. And sometimes I feel really stupid. Like, I'm, I'm embarrassed that I haven't read all these classic books that everybody else has, and I've got this list that I'm trying to get through. And I have no idea who sometimes really famous people are in the church, even though the, the name rings a bell. And sometimes I have a panic that I have to read all these books, even for today. I've got this list, I'm like, there's no way that I can do all that. And it's not that we just ditch all these things, but I pause and remember that right here, in this moment, God has given me everything I need. And everything we have is a gift from God. It's not always necessary um, for every person to have, but everything we have is a gift from God for us. I don't know how often you read a really good book and think, I have to get everybody to read this book as if it's going to solve all of our problems or a new program. But Jesus said in his prayer of thanksgiving, he said, you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. How often do we have that posture of little children who are not able to read these big intellectual books that we have? We don't need all these things. God gives us them, but we don't need them. And Jesus re uh, rejoiced at the fact that we went out in that posture of having nothing. And he also told the, the, the disciples, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Sometimes the way in which God works through us can result in our pride. But it's not those things that we're to rejoice in, the things that he allows us to do in his power. But we're to rejoice above all the fact that our names, our names have been written in heaven. The fact that he has chosen us, that he has saved us. Now the third thing that we want to eject from this backpack is self-righteousness. Thinking that we are right about everything, that we have some sort of moral superiority. And in verse 13, Jesus says, Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, you would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes, but it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than, you, than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. Now, Capernaum was known as Jesus' own city, the place where he laid his head, the place that Jesus dwelt, if we're part of the church, the place that Jesus finds home, we shouldn't expect to be favoured by Jesus just on account of being in the, the church. They were not to expect, the, the people in Capernaum were not to expect that just because Jesus had done many things and miracles in their midst, that they had favour. But the onus was on the individual to accept Jesus into their heart. And that is a, a challenge for us today as well. It wasn't just those that were living in sin that were going to be judged, but even more so those that had seen and heard the living God, but had rejected him. 
When I first um, came to Perth and was looking to do some volunteering work, I um, applied to the YMCA to, to do some volunteering, and I kind of understood that it was a Christian organization. And what was going on in my head was, I have good morals and values. I think I will fit in. I thought that's what being a Christian was all about. I'm not sure where that view came from, comes from, but there's a, there's, a, um, there's a risk that that can be our view inside the church as well. God doesn't save us based on how many generations of our family have been in the church. He doesn't save us based on how, control, how much control we are of our lives and our circumstances to keep our sinning under wraps. But it's an invitation of God's grace and unconditional love that is received by our own decision to accept and to follow him. I think COVID shows that as Christians, we are not the only people that go out into the world and do nice and do good things. Now, there's a lot of self here. I'm sure we all have testimonies of times when we've had to completely rely on God because our earthly resources have been taken away or our own rules don't work for ourselves anymore. Even the things that God has given us for a time, we've had to let go of. It's often not till we find ourselves in such situations when we realize how much of our hope and how much of our dependence is not so much on God, but on the things that he has given us, whether it be material things or our knowledge and intellect or the things that we've stored in our backpack for mission rather than relying on him, rather than what he's given us today and given us in the gift that we sometimes need to receive from each other. God speaks through those around us. Even if we haven't read that textbook, they might have. Even if we haven't read the textbook, God might speak that through them anyway. But sometimes we can't see it because it doesn't look like what God's provided us before. We choose to keep going along the road with this backpack for mission, with our own resources that are no longer working for us. I suggest as a church we're already at that place where we can no longer afford to rely on our own resources. Now Jesus offers us another way. He reminds us that God is alive and moving outside of the walls of the church. Alan Roxburgh in his book Joining God in the Neighbourhood says this, he says, what God is doing in the world has a lot more to do with being a stranger receiving hospitality than being in control of the resources and the answers. I don't think we can overemphasize how much in our time we are in control of our own circumstances sometimes. The houses that we live in and that we retreat to, the cars that we drive so we're not relying on other people or relying on the bus. I had to get the bus the other week and I had such anxiety that I was gonna be late to where I needed to go because I was so dependent on it and not on myself. I wonder if the difficulty of the rich man entering the kingdom of God was as much about the control that he had, the control that he had with his riches that he wasn't willing to give up. We are rich in so many ways. In asking us to lay down these things, Jesus teaches us to enter into that posture of humility. So what does it look like that we might sit at the table of a stranger? someone whose cultures and ways of doing things we don't understand. One of the the guidelines that we have on the sanctuary course that we've been working through around faith and mental health, one of the guidelines is choose wonder. 
When you don't understand why somebody thinks the way that they do or how they could possibly see things that way, choose to wonder why they think that that way. Choose to wonder as we sit at tables and tell stories together, as many of us will do this evening. Henry Nouwen says this about hospitality. He says, hospitality is not to change people, but to offer them a space where change can take place. It's not to bring men and women over to our side, but to offer freedom not disturbed by dividing lines. I wonder what would happen if we could truly listen to one another's stories without trying to change each other. To ask the question, what is the very next thing that the Holy Spirit is doing in this person's life? When we do life alongside people, we realize that God doesn't work the same way in our lives as he does in other people's lives. Sometimes we're so excited by what God has done in our lives that we want to rightly tell other people about it. We think that God can do the same in their life, and he can. It must be true if it works for us, we think. The gospel has to be good news for everyone. Sometimes instead of finding the time to listen to people's stories, we try and make them like our own. And then when our methods somehow don't work for people, we inadvertently heap criticism on them as if it was their fault, as if God, it, because God's not working in that way, as if if we just did all the things that we did, that God would work in the way that he has in our lives. God gave me this picture of, it's as if someone's life is like a Rubik's Cube. Where when I do a Rubik's Cube, I can't do it. I think about getting as many of these little squares of colors on the one side of it. And actually, maybe I get quite close and it looks like it's going quite well for a time. But in the background, there are so many other pieces that need to be put into place. God knows the whole picture. What might seem like a step back for us are the long way around. And what might seem like a step back for us are the long way around. We submit to God's way of doing things. God says, in, it, it, the Bible says in Isaiah 50, 55 verse 8, For my, th- my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. And to sit at tables and tell stories is to get to know the real life us. To do life alongside each other is not to put on the faces that we sometimes bring to church but it's to be not in control of our own circumstances, to be vulnerable, to have all our flaws on show, to see who we are when we don't get to do things our way, only when we feel safe to share our stories and the real us can we make a a way for Jesus to come and work in our lives. Last month, I was at a district pastor's prayer conference, and we were eating dinner with some colleagues, one who has a a child with medically complex needs and another who cares for a family member with additional support needs. And we shared stories with each other, and even though we had no understanding of what it was like to be in the other person's shoes, we didn't really know. But as I heard them share, and as I shared something of my own experience of what it was like having, having twins 12 weeks early in the middle of a global pandemic, something was happening. We didn't share stories and say, oh, mine's not as bad as yours or compare them. But it felt safe because even though our stories were different, they each had some things in common. 
We all knew what it was like to be in circumstances that you couldn't have imagined happening to you, that are out with your control. We each knew what it was like to bear a burden that was too great to carry on our own. Each of our stories had glimpses of God's grace woven throughout the places when he was present with us. The ways in which within all these difficulties he revealed himself to us in new ways. In all of the suffering that we had and the struggles that we had been to, we each could say how our experiences had affected how we minister to others in the church. And in sharing those stories, somehow we see that all our stories are intertwined. As we share and listen to stories, our own stories are often being rewritten. As we shared together, something was happening inside me. There was such a thankfulness that began to rise up within me. And the sense of isolation that began to diminish. Maybe we see someone standing on the other side of something and it gives us hope. Not only are our stories interwoven with each other, but also into the greater story that we find in scripture, that God is restoring us back to a right relationship with himself and to each other. We are part of rewriting that story, bringing God's kingdom to earth, rewriting the stories of our lives, both in what has been and what is to come. The stories that we tell about ourselves are important and I've had to do a lot of work in my own inward life in the last few years because I realised that if I want to minister to others, then I first have to know that grace and that love in my own life. If I'm, I truly want to offer grace to people when they mess up, when they mess up and it impacts me, then I have to accept it for myself too. I don't know if it's a kind of Scottish or British thing to be that kind of like self-depreciating way all the time, but I've realised that the story that I tell about my own life affects the stories that others tell about their lives too. The times when we have self-hatred for something that we've done or we just can't seem to forgive ourselves, when we don't match up to our own high standards, it sends a story to other people too. God needs to be continually rewriting the story in our lives, showing us where we still need his grace. Sometimes we don't know the story that we believe about ourselves until we speak it out. Often in the places where we feel safest, maybe around tables. But it also means that in these very same places are the, people, are the places that we get the most hurt, where what's within us comes out. But in all this, we are making a way for Jesus. If we don't know how broken we are, and we don't know in, how much, in all of this how much we need Jesus, then we can't share that with other people. We are totally dependent on his mercy. Jesus says, said to the disciples, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. There's a, a, a book that I've just loved reading through, and it's called Suffering in the Heart of God. And the woman in the book, uh, Diane Langberg, speaks about this. She says, no matter how good you are at rolling stones, handling stench, and removing grave clothes, you cannot remove, you cannot raise the dead. He is the resurrection and the life. 
in our sharing stories, we can't fix people. We can't raise people from the dead. But we can make a way for Jesus to come and do exactly what that person needs in that moment. Now, somehow in all of this interaction that we have as community, either as the gathered or the scattered church, God's working out his plans and purposes in all of the hurt and the hurting each other. We find healing and forgiveness. Time and time again, our stories converge at the cross. I find that even when we mess up, we're still making a way for Jesus and we will mess up. Even when things take an unexpected turn or they don't go as they're planned, God is there. He's making a way before us. Even when a situation feels like death, he is coming in his resurrection power. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine into our hearts to give us the light of knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Last month I was serving communion and for the first time in a long time and I had such a powerful moment. As person after person came, sto- came forward, people whose stories I knew, people that I knew had endured hardship and suffering, I felt so overwhelmed. And a sense of belonging, that I knew that I belonged right here with these people with others who knew the struggles of life in all its different ways. As the people of God, all our stories are different. But in our struggles and our brokenness, we come to this table. We come to the one who is our saviour, who is our hope. That in all of our different situations, it's him that we come to. And we bring nothing. And we bring everything. We celebrate not that we have power, but that we have nothing apart from him. Yet not I, but Christ in me. So this morning before we come to communion, I feel, I feel like there's a few things that we, need to, that we need to do before we share in this time together. In community with one another, in communion with God. The life of community is messy. The church is messy. Some of us have been really hurt by and in this community. Fred in his video shared that perhaps for some people your experience of of community or church has been hurtful or has been authoritarian or has been judgmental. People have come and tried to make you like themselves. And we feel let down Because Christians are supposed to be nice. They're supposed to rally around one another in a crisis. They're supposed to speak well of each other behind their backs. They're supposed to. Maybe some of us need to let go of our expectations of what we thought our church community would be like. To forgive those who have wounded us. Because after all, they are just like us. 
and to come and to find healing in the one that we gather around, healing in the one that gives us life. And on the flip side, maybe some of us have been in that place of control or have been hurtful to others. And we need to repent of that. We need to say, God, I'm sorry for these things that I have taken with me, these ways that I have tried to work that are not your ways. So, um, Lord, I'm sorry for the way that my plans have bypassed your plans. And Jesus says to all of us, I know. That's why I came. Because you're human and you're broken. And I know how much you tried. And I know that you can't do it on your own. And I think Jesus asks us the question today, will we forgive them? Will we stop holding others to such high account, expecting them to be perfect? Because they're not. And will you forgive yourself? Because you're not perfect either. And in all of this, there's an invitation. Maybe for the first time, and maybe for, for us to accept again the invitation to follow him, to leave behind ourselves and our old ways, all of what's been important to us, all the things that we've accumulated in our backpack for mission, and to be sent out into the world, to step into God's story of what he is already doing. We are given authority but the only people that have this authority are those who are humble enough to know that it is not in their name, but in his name and by the power of his spirit that we do it. I'm going to invite the worship team to join us and we're going to sing together before we share in communion with one another. This song stood out to me a few weeks ago as, as I was already beginning to think about today. When I surveyed the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. My richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Lord, we thank you for the work of Christ in our lives. Thank you that it is not us, but it is you living in us, that you came so that we would be a new creation. Lord, you came that we would have life in all its fullness. Lord, we ask for forgiveness for those moments when we have made it about us, when we have tried to do things our ways, because maybe it's how you've worked in our lives, but it's not what you're doing in other people's lives. And Lord, we ask for your forgiveness. And Lord, as we receive that forgiveness, Lord, we pray that you would help us to extend that forgiveness to others in the ways that we have been hurt, in ways that we, we don't have enough strength in our own to offer that forgiveness. We ask for your forgiveness to give to others. And Lord, we pray that you would commission us again. Lord, that if there are, Lord I pray that if there are are people here that don't feel like they belong, they don't feel like they're called, they don't feel like they're sent. Lord, that you would come, we make a way for you to come right now and speak to their hearts, speak to them about how much they belong and they are also called. 
that in your spirit that you, as you dwell in each of us, Lord, you work through us. Lord, we lay down all of the things that you've given us, all of the things that you've gifted us with, that, Lord, we have thought we needed. We thank you for them. But, Lord, we lay them down with empty hands, we say. Lord, we need you. Lord, you are the only one that knows what this world needs. And we know that what they need is Jesus. So, Lord, come and minister to us as we sing. Lord, maybe as we think about these things that we, that we need to give up, that have been so important for us that we need to leave behind. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.